0: Amen. And good morning, Radiant Church. How are you today? Yeah, good, good. It's going to be beautiful out. Who's excited for, man, like low 70s today? Yeah, come on. We're excited for that. Okay. All right. Welcome. Uh, Glad you're here. Uh, My name is Ben. I serve as uh, the campus pastor up here at the Ankeny campus. And we are so, so glad that you're here. Welcome, especially if it's your first or second time here this morning. We're glad that you are visiting. Hey, Uh, I want to open up by sharing a story when uh, I was four or five years old. I was very young. It was the early 90s. And me and my siblings and some of my cousins were over playing in the backyard well after dark in the pitch black, just sprinting around, and uh, we were playing a game called Jailbreak in the dark, right? Because it's the early 90s, it's what you did. And uh, Jailbreak was a game where there's prisoners, and there's lots of sneaking and running, and you're trying to, you know, get your teammates out of jail, and there's people trying to capture you, and it's kind of like an intense game to begin with, um, but it was well after dark, and we're playing. And... I think it was my brother, the story goes, he, he found the group of prisoners, and so he, he found them and he yelled, jailbreak, and um, they didn't move for, for whatever reason. And he thought that was really odd, they weren't moving at all, and what he realized was that those people weren't actually my siblings or my cousins. What he realized, that the person that he found was actually someone we didn't know, lurking in the shadows beside the house, watching us play the game. Yeah. So you can imagine the panic that, like, through flew us, right? We, like, we sprinted to the house. The fastest kids got in there first, locked the door. The slowest kids were pounding on the door. This is not an exaggeration. This happened. And we are freaking out. Story goes, my brother got his BB gun, like he's going to be Mc- Kevin McAllister in Home Alone or something, right? <laughs> And he is just ready for action, super intense. And we're, there's tears. We're screaming. We're free, we're f- completely freaked out. There is a there's a kidnapper beside the house outdoors. And so, um, eventually, at some point in time, probably ten minutes later, our parents probably decided we should do something about the screams and the tears. Again, early '90s, different times, right there. Um, but finally, my mom got the broad idea to to uh, figure out what the heck was going on. And so there's an intruder outside. We're like, mom, you got to do something. We're freaked out. Some kids are still locked outside. And so my mom has the bright idea to go over and she turns on the lights. And finally, the uh, kidnapper is revealed to be a trash can. It was a, it was a trash can. There was no intruder. There was no person outside of the house. It was a trash can that had always been there on the side of the house, but the darkness made us so freaked out that we thought it was a murderer, right? You know how kids are. Yeah, so the laughter of all of our parents still rings in my ear to this day, right? They were they probably thought that was hilarious. But whether you are whether you're a child or whether you're grown in years, the truth of the matter is the same that human beings are far more easily deceived than we would like to admit. Human beings are far more easily deceived and tricked than we would even like to admit. We're continuing on. Welcome back to our sermon series called Live No Lies. It's based on a book uh, called, by John Mark Comer. Favorite book of, of, that I've read in a long, long time. Super influential to me. But last week, we spent a lot of time uh, building a paradigm. We presented a a simple paradigm that there are three enemies to our souls. Whether you're a believer or not, there are three enemies to our souls, and we describe them as being the world, the flesh, and the devil. For thousands of years, over a thousand years, um, ancient Christians, ancient theologians, church fathers have used this paradigm as the... Three enemies of the soul to describe who our enemy really is. It's almost the counter trinity as they describe the world, the flesh, the devil. These are the categories that scripture speaks to all the time. And our running theory is that this is how it sort of works, if you will, and it's not exactly like this all the time, but the idea is that the devil implants deceptive ideas into our minds. Some would call them temptations, but usually they're in the form of deception and lies. And those deceptive ideas play to entertain our disordered desires of the flesh. The flesh being our animalistic cravings, what we want, sensuality, that we all have desires that, quite frankly, aren't good. So those deceptive ideas of the devil play to those disordered desires, and then it doesn't stop there, it continues. Th- those disordered desires are actually normalized in our sinful society, popularized in our sinful fallen world and culture. This is the running theory that's going to make its way, permeate its way through uh, the sermon series. encourage you to go back online if you missed last week and show up the next two weeks. It's going to be good. But today we get to tackle the big one. Yes, I am talking about the devil, right? Who's excited to talk about the devil today? Come on. All right, not, not, not yet. We're going to get there, though. And I get it, right? This last Wednesday, we had 27 people under my roof during small group. It was nuts, okay? So if a little side note, if you have a large home, please let me know, okay? Um, but it was amazing. We had kids and child workers and all that. It was great. But we asked the question in my small group. I said, um, on a scale of 1 to 10, rate your skepticism about how each one of these three enemies actually affects your life. And we had some good, honest discussions, some great, honest answers, and the one that was rated as the the most skeptical of it actually affecting our lives was, of course, what? The devil, right? It's, It's hard to believe for many of us the idea that the devil actually influences our mind as followers of Jesus Christ, by far rated as the most skeptical. And I get it. I personally have struggled with this as a believer in Christ. Even as a pastor, for a long, long time, I was, I would say, negligent or ignorant to the influence that the devil or demonic powers had over my mind, my thoughts, and my life. After all, I'm a follower of Christ. I have the Spirit of God living in me. Does the devil really affect me, or is that just, you know... Christian paranoia, or is that just, you know, superstition and things like that? For a long time, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, and maybe call it arrogance, call it whatever you want, for a long time, I was just sort of like, mm, nah, probably doesn't actually affect my mind. Now, for some of you, that may be surprising. Now, don't get me wrong, I've I always believed that the devil was real. I've read scripture, theology, that sort of thing, but actually affects my thoughts. Skepticism. Some of you may be surprised by that, but I'm guessing that uh, for most of you, you actually find that relatable, and that's okay, and that's why we're talking about it here today and starting from that point. Welcome to the journey. All I ask today is that you keep an open mind and hear what Scripture has to say. We're going to start with Jesus. What does Jesus think about the devil? First and foremost, the thing we need to understand, the bottom line, the baseline for our belief in the devil is that Jesus... Believe the devil was real. If you're following along on your worship guides, please fill in those blanks, take those home, study them. They're on your seats there. Jesus believed the devil was real and interacted with him regularly. And his demonic forces, by the way. Take a look at the synoptic gospels in their accounts, starting with Matthew 4. Each instance, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, account for uh, this, this instance in which Jesus went off to the wilderness by himself, didn't eat, in order to confront the devil. As in, that was almost a part of his mission. It wasn't like an afterthought. Like, Jesus intentionally went into the devil, why? To confront, or went into the wilderness to confront the devil. All three three instances of the Synoptic Gospels mention this fact. There is an overwhelming uh, amount of passages that talk about Jesus interacting with demons, talking about satanic power, and encourage, get this, encouraging his disciples to go and release people from demonic oppression as well. What? Crazy, right? Just take a, look at, take a look at these scripture references. These, and this is not an exhaustive list at all. This is just Jesus in the gospels. Each one of those referencing demonic powers or having an interaction with a real demon on and on and on. So what is my point? My point is this. Whether we like to entertain the idea that the devil actually affects us or that he's real, he was real to Jesus. So let's start there as a framework and as a baseline, if we could. I love this question. I've gotten it uh, a couple times in a couple different ways. And the question usually goes, okay, but what is, like, the goal of the devil? Like, what is he out to do? And there's a really interesting uh, discourse uh, between Jesus and some Jews in John chapter 8. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to John chapter 8. will be in verse 31. Always encourage you more and more. I'm just a huge fan of a physical Bible. Uh, I'm getting away from the phone and the digital stuff. Uh, do encourage you if you want to bring them. We have them in the back for free. Um, love, love that. But do get this in front of you. You can always Google it too. John chapter 8, verse 31. Here's what it says. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. I could stop there and preach a whole sermon on just that, but let's continue. 32, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answer them, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Let's pause here. So what is Jesus doing here? Jesus is is claiming, or at least he's poking holes at at them and saying, you actually have a different father than the one that you claim, or at least you're acting as, as a different father than the one you claim. And what does he say next? What happens here? Abraham is our father, they said. Continuing on, if you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has just told you the truth, what I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father, he says. Okay, so here's where it's starting to get a little spicy, okay? Jesus is not only saying, hey, you're not acting like Abraham, the father you claim. You're acting like a different father. We go on, verse 42. Here's what it says. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you aren't able to hear what I say. Now don't miss this, verse 44. Don't miss this. You belong to your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Yikes. Jesus continues, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. By the way, side note, I love it when Jesus references things that happened before space and time, as if it was like a memory. He's like recounting like, yeah, this happened in the beginning before you were even around. I think that's cool. He was a murderer from the beginning, Jesus says. And so the first thing we understand about the devil's goal is that the devil's goal is to spread death and destruction. The devil's goal is to spread death and destruction. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's one of your fill-ins. And I know I'm skipping through slides. Sorry, Lauren. So if the devil was a a villain in a movie, let's say, his, his line would be burn it all to the ground. Tear it all down piece by piece, right? That's the devil's motivation and his goal. Anything that's beautiful, deface it. Anything that's pure, corrupt it. Sacred, profane it. Anyone who's vulnerable, exploit them. John 8, 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the what? Truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What a line. When he lies, he speaks his native language, Jesus says. Man, that's, that's, that's a cool line. But it tells us about the devil's means by how he destroys and how he brings about death. So his goal is to bring death and destruction. Everything that God created, all the goodness, all the beauty, all the wonder, the devil is the opposite of that. Destroy, tear it down. So if his goal is destruction, if his goal is malice, if his goal is death, the means by which he carries that out is lies. When he lies, he speaks his native language, Jesus says. He is the father of all lies. Now, one thing that we need to understand as 21st century, you know, American Westerners living in the digital age, we need to understand something, that this idea that the devil lies to people and influences our mind, we need to understand that this was not just strictly reserved for the first century. In fact, in Timothy, it says in later times, the Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, those whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. So the idea, and even a lot of Christians believe this, they believe that, oh, you know, that the whole demonic thing, the whole like oppression thing, affliction thing about demons—that that was the first century. That was in Bible times. We've we've moved on from that now, right? C.S. Lewis calls it chronological snobbery. That because we're advanced on the timeline, we think we're above those ancient thinkers. Who for them in the New Testament for Jesus, this was day to day life. It was day to day life. But because we've you know seen uh, movies like The Exorcist and all of these crazy depictions of demonic nonsense we've kind of just dismissed it altogether, And Timothy says, in later times, in later times, you're going to be encountering this and dealing with it, even now here in today. Still with me so far? Doing all right? I know this is a lot. You're doing awesome. Wonderful. What is the counterpunch, though, to these lies? What is the counterpunch to anti-truth? Well, it's truth. John 8, in that same passage we read, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will do what? Set you free. What a line. The truth sets us free every time. When we know reality, when we know the truth, man, there's liberation and there's freedom. And we're able to make wise decisions and flow with the way god ordered this very creation we are going with the grain of the world but if the truth sets us free the inverse is also true lies do what enslave snare keep us pinned down and keep us stuck when we're talking about truth, our simple definition, and you can write this down if you like, is that truth is that which corresponds to reality. That what's real, that we touch, we understand, it's real life. What is reality? I like this definition. Reality is the thing that we run into when we're wrong. <laughs> you ever encountered that? Reality is, you know, if you jump off a building and you start flapping your arms like this and you say, "I believe that I can fly." I should have just sang it right there. I believe. are not doing it. Uh, but I believe I can fly and you jump off that building. Uh, reality is the thing that you encounter at the end of your journey. That's reality. Reality is what you encounter when you're wrong. And so what is truth? That which corresponds to reality. You with me? The truth will set us free. Human beings are um, easily deceived. Why is that? Human beings, what sets us apart from animals is our ability to imagine. And our ability to imagine something that hasn't yet come into existence yet, right? Think about any time you've painted a picture. It's not real yet. It's in your mind. You're in your imagination. And then you put it on paper. Any time you've crafted a structure, built a desk, any time you've put plans into motion that aren't real yet, you're using your imagination to take unreality, things that haven't happened yet, And you're using your body to make it into reality. It's one of the most beautiful things that God created us to do. He said, go, be fruitful, multiply, steward, rule over. It is what allows humans to thrive and build civilizations. But here's the thing. It's also the bane of human existence. Why? Because just like we can entertain and just like we can imagine things that aren't real yet and then bring them into existence, in the same way we can also believe Non-realities that are deceptive, that are lies, that are not truth, and they can be corrosive. And that's exactly where the enemy tries to slip in and plant little lies in our minds to take fruit in our minds. Think about worry. Any anyone else a worrier in the room? Come on, raise your hand. Come on, worriers. You're, I'm with you. Come on. Hey, this is you guys know this. This is how worry works, isn't it? Where it's like, well, what if? What if that terrible thing happens? What if that, you know, the worst case scenario comes to fruition? What if everything goes wrong, right? And your mind plays out these unrealities and the devil just tries to exacerbate that. He just tries to make it worse. He elevates that in your mind. He inflames it so that it feels like it's true. Even though it's not. Some of the best lies are 95% truth. Five percent deception. The truth will set us free, but we're easily deceived. What's the point of all this here today? My point to here today for radiant church in our times is this: Many of us have been deceived by the devil and are actually living out lies that we may not even realize. Many of us, very few exceptions, and I would argue there are none, are living out lies that we may not even realize are lies. What am I saying, practically speaking? I'm saying that Jesus' followers, I believe, can actually still be negative, negatively influenced by demonic powers. Not indwelling in us, not inhabiting us, not possessing us, none of that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying influenced. You ever had that like just toxic thought in your mind that just would not go away? That thing that was just dark and ugly and you're like, where did that even come from? And it almost felt like it had like a malignant will to it. It just like pounced on you and it's in your brain and you're like, I'm trying to get rid of that. I don't want to dwell on that. And yet it's there and you're like, where on earth did that even come from? Am I the only one? Don't think so. Uh, yeah, we all have. And, and what I'm What I'm proposing to you is this. What if that isn't just like your brain chemistry misfiring? As some would tell you that it is. What if if that's actually an external attack against your mind? That's what I'm proposing. What if we can actually be influenced by demonic powers? Just like Eve was in the garden. Just like the devil attempted to do with Jesus in the wilderness. What if... What if the devil tries to put lies in our minds, for example, lies that say, I can't trust my wife, she'll cheat on me just like my mom cheated on my dad. Lies that say, good things don't happen to me, so why even try to be successful? Lies like, I can't say or do anything that will make people upset with me. Lies that say my best days are behind me. Lies like if anyone actually knew me, they would reject me. Ugly, insidious lies. What if they're not just coming from our broken minds? What if, what if the enemy is actually attempting to destroy us? He was a murderer from the beginning. Dallas Willard, famous theologian, wrote, There is no avoiding the fact that we live at the mercy of our ideas. This is never more true than with our ideas about God. But Jesus offers a solution. John chapter 8. If you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you say it with me free the reality is that that so many of us go about and we compromise and we sin and we give into those fleshly disordered desires we're tempted and and it's not just temptation you know out of the blue like you know hey, go and rob a store, but it's temptation. It's little lies and little uh, deceptions that actually play to the things we already want. Like, hey, it's okay to spend five hours, you know, on Netflix or entertainment or whatever. And what we need to realize is that we sin when we believe a lie about what will really make us happy, don't we? When we think we know what we really want, what will really make us happy, and so we give into it. We sin when we believe a lie about what will really make us happy. In the garden, what was the lie of the devil? He knows you'll be like God, right? A little bit of deception. They were already created in the Imago Dei, the image of God. They were already like God, but the deception is that they can choose right and wrong for themselves. We sin when we believe a lie about what will really make us happy. If I just buy that thing, oh, that'll complete the set perfectly, then I'll be happy. If I just binge enough entertainment and turn my brain off for long enough, then, oh, then I'll have relief and I'll be happy. If I just explore uh, myself sexually and go inwards and do whatever I want and have liberation in that area, finally, then I'll be happy. If I just climb over people to make more and more money and have excess, more than I could ever need, and then I, you know, tuck that away into an account and, and watch it grow, oh, Finally, I'll be happy. If I could just squeeze more productivity out of my day, just make my boss pleased with me, or my spouse pleased with me, or whatever. If only I could have this, and we give in to the sin of disordered desires. Today, my call to all of us is to fight back. Fight back against the lies that so easily entangle the sin that so easily trips us up. And so step number one is this, start paying attention. If you're, if you're like me in the room and you're like, eh, the devil, nah, probably doesn't actually influence me and nah, not a big deal. Um, you're already starting from a losing position. And so step number one I'd say is start paying attention. First Peter, listen to what he writes. First Peter chapter five says, be alert and of sober mind. In other words, start paying attention, people. Your enemy, the devil, the literal devil, you know, the one we've been talking about all day, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So what does this look like? This means getting alone, taking inventory of those lies through a couple of spiritual practices and disciplines that have been around for millennia called quiet prayer scripture reading. Quiet prayer, it's simply getting alone without any distractions. Getting alone, certainly, certainly, without your screen in arm's reach, okay? And sitting alone and inviting the Holy Spirit and just say, Holy Spirit, here I am. Maybe do some breathing just to like, get your mind cleared out, recognize you're going to be distracted and just saying, Spirit, by your power, would you reveal any lies in my life that I am prone to believe? just sit with the spirit and allow them one by one and maybe bring a pen and a journal and just write them out one by one on a piece of paper not on a screen on a piece of paper quiet time taking inventory of those lies asking the holy spirit uh, for help in that poet mary oliver wrote attention is the beginning of devotion attention Turning your mind and your attention towards the Lord is the beginning of devotion towards him. We devote our most attention to the things that, or rather, we give our most attention to the things that we're most devoted to. It's true in sports, it's true in entertainment, it's true in work, whatever. So simply put, start turning your attention in quiet prayer to the Lord. That's step one, pay attention, take inventory. Step number two is start talking back. Yeah, that sounds kind of cool, right? Start talking back. If the devil is trying to talk at you, if the devil's trying to speak lies at you, it's time to start talking back. This is the one time growing up where it's okay to talk back, kids, okay? Not to your parents, but to the the enemy, okay? How do we do this? We do this through scripture, through the truth. 1 Peter 5, 9 Resist him. That's active language. That's do language. That's get to work language. Resist him, him being the devil. Standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Fight back. Resist the devil with what? With scripture, with the truth. The truth will set you free. I love this illustration. About how, when a thief is trying to break into a home, it's much harder for the thief to actually get in when there's a party already going on in the inside, right? When there's people inside your life, when there's lights on, when there's celebration and there's joy and there's happiness, right? When there's a party going on inside, it is so much harder for a thief to sneak in and get in there. Am I right? Again, think about Home Alone. Remember that scene? And the same is true for our spiritual lives. When there's for lack of a better word, when there is a party going on inside when there is activity happening inside of our souls, when our souls are are vibrant and filled with light, when they're filled with prayer and intimacy with Jesus, when we have community in our lives and there's people interacting and we can confess freely to one another and we can just lay it all out there and be like, "Man, I am struggling and there's this lie and it's nasty and it's dark, but can I tell it to you anyway?" When we have a party going on inside and we are, when we are exhibiting fruit of the Spirit and we have the joy of Christ and our burden is light, when there is activity happening on the inside, it is so much more difficult for the thief to try and sneak in there. It's not to say he won't try. He'll always try. So get with the Lord with that. Spend time with his word and scripture. It's time to start talking back and when we do the light will come on and we'll realize it was just a trash can everything that fear tried to make itself out to be all the ways that it puffed itself up all the ways that it tried to intimidate all the ways it tried to deceive you into thinking it was worse than it was the lights come on and we realize oh that's the truth I have nothing to fear but God himself those who are in my small group and those closest to me know that I recently went through such a difficult battle against fear and worry and anxiety and a lot of it was related to uh, my wife's uh, pregnancy and it felt relentless to be honest day and day day out it was uh, at night it would keep me up I'd worry and I'd be sick with it and can I be honest with you? It it wasn't just like mild stuff. It was like dark thoughts about what was going to happen to my wife in in childbirth. Dark. And it was the worst case scenario every time. And just I could feel it in my body, like the visceral fear and worry and anxiety and just like it it wouldn't let go. And I prayed and I prayed and I confessed and I told people and that helped and that was good. And it wasn't all the time, but man, it, it was there. And finally, after David was born and after everything settled down, I said, you know what? I'm just going to make a list of every single lie that the enemy tried to throw my way. And you know what I did? I started writing them out. And I didn't just have like one or two or five. I currently have 16 lies on that list. Just regarding that. 16. I have a list. I could show you. I'm not going to. <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> um But I bring that up to say, when I look through that list, you know what my thought is? My thought is every single one of those didn't come true. (laughs) And yet in my mind, they felt like reality. They felt true. And the hope of Jesus Christ is that we can begin to be aware and begin fighting back and talking back against the devil's schemes. We can resist that. It doesn't mean it's going to like light switch, go away. At least that's not how it was for me. In fact, I still think I'm on that journey. I think I'm still battling against that. But I'm setting myself up for success. And I'm calling fear a liar out loud. I'm going on walks with the Lord and I'm allowing that to just process with him, spending time in quiet prayer and just saying, Lord, what the heck happened? What should I do differently? How could I see you at work in that? In what ways were you letting me go through some of that only so that I could come on the other side? In what ways were those trials building perseverance in me? In what ways were you um, enveloping me? In what ways were you, were you plunging me into deeper relationship with yourself? All of this, this is the work. I'm on the journey. I haven't figured it out. But you better believe I'm gonna keep going to war against those lies even no matter how dark or absurd they may be they don't belong in my mind scripture tells us to hold every thought captive every thought captive and be transformed by the what by the renewing of our minds church there's a literal devil and he's actually out to go against your mind pay attention talk back don't do it alone start the party in your soul. Flip on the lights. Come the next two weeks. Get in a small group. All of the above. You know it. You know these things. Read your Bibles. You know them. It's time to start fighting back. Let's pray.